PhD is short for Doctor of Philosophy. This podcast shares tips of real-life doctoral students who will eventually defend a dissertation at the end of their academic journey. In this special edition of PhD Tips, we are joined by a special guest who will share their wisdom and five tips for students looking to successfully complete a PhD. If you have been following the ride, thank you for tuning back in. And if you are new, welcome to PhD Tips. Jay Withers, originally from Little Rock, Arkansas, is a second year black graduate student in a doctoral program for clinical psychology at the University of Memphis. Jay's immediate interests are how alcohol misuse affects black emerging adults and college students differently than white emerging adults and how behavioral economics can be used to decrease substance misuse. Please welcome soon to be Dr. Jay Withers. Okay, we're good. So Jay Withers is on the podcast, his first and PhD tips. And so I just want to thank you uh, for, um, you know, agreeing to come because one, you know, I just randomly DM'd you on Twitter. So, (laughs) you know, it was shot in the dark, literally. So, um, you know, I'm forever grateful for having you come. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, Cliff. Yeah. So, like I, I've been telling, well, you're the second person that's been on PhD Tips, but what I think I'm going to tell everyone is that, um, like, this exchange of information is not for me. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping all the information that's exchanged on the on PhD Tips becomes sort of like a North Star for the culture. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I don't have to explain what the culture is if you're a part of the culture. <laughs> if you don't understand what it is, it's probably not for you. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's when I found you on Twitter, like I found you, right. Um, yeah. And I seen your bio and looked up, looked you up. Um, your, your focus is like very, very important um, in many ways that people probably don't even think about. And especially mm-hmm. for, um, communities that look like mine and yours. So uh, before we get into the deets, because you know, I, I know you probably can go on um, years and years of talking about it, and we, which we should. Um, mm-hmm. So like as we go through this, don't feel like you know it's a race for time. Like you can expand on any and all that you want. Um, the only limitations is you know if you fall asleep on the podcast and we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, so tell us, tell us about, you know, tell us, you know, what your name is, where you go to school and, um, you know, what your life's like right now. Where yeah. You work. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Jay Withers. I am a uh, second year PhD student um, at the University of Memphis, and uh, I'm going for clinical psychology. Uh, I'm originally from uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, so only two and a half hours uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. Um but yeah, I uh, just finished up my first year, um, entering my second year this fall, uh, and that's kind of where the the fun starts because I start seeing clients after then. So, oh, that's that's pretty dope. I didn't know you got to do that so soon. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, years ago before I uh, you know started the the program, um, uh, I realized like, oh wow, they start really soon. So, yeah, your first year. It's kind of, um, you know, doing a lot of coursework, 
um, focusing on your research interest area, um, and then learning um, a lot about kind of case conceptualization and kind of the theory behind um, seeing patients. And um, depending on the program that you go to, there may be a certain emphasis on, um, you know, their therapeutic styles, um, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, heard of like Freudian theory, um, but a lot now there's a lot more emphasis on uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and there's other types of uh, therapy like motivational interviewing. And then you can even get more specific um, depending on um, what the psychological disorder might be. But um, yeah, you also, um, for first year, it's kind of like a a dive into learning about psychological assessment as well. So it's a really good year to, you know, solidify or re-solidify foundations from uh, undergraduate and kind of like help you jump into, um, you know, actually seeing uh, clients. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not even going to try to, I'm not even going to try to act like I know all of what you're talking about. All I know (laughs) is that. You are the man for the job. That's why you're doing it, right? <laughs> when we talk about math and science, maybe we could do our thing together. But <laughs> I felt the uh, exact same way at the start of each semester. But um, you know, it's kind of a nose dive, dive in, and um, you get used to kind of the workload and um, just the learning different concepts. And yeah. towards the end of the semester, things kind of like solidify together. So you can look back at like previous semesters and be like, oh man, I see why I was, you know, studying uh, these disorders and how that relates to mm-hmm. using, uh, doing assessments for specific disorders. And um, so, yeah, it kind of all fits together, but uh, it is, uh, it's definitely a whirlwind while you're in it. Yeah. So what 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 was very um I was very happy finding you too. Uh I seen that you were a second year. Uh we're going into your second year and a lot of uh people in grad school that I know currently or uh they may have uh, they may be thinking about a master's program and ultimately they're thinking about a PhD program. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people I think right now who are listening to the podcast mm-hmm. are prospective students um, coming in sure. uh, to maybe pondering a, the question of, oh, should I do a PhD program? And so like uh, information that you provide is going to be, you know, monumental for them and providing them with, you know, guidance on what to do, how to do it and <laughs> what not to do. Um, so, you know, this, you know, your, your information that you're going to be providing today is, is invaluable. Um, so, Tell people, um, and you can go as far as back as you want to, um, t- tell me about your academic journey. So you can start in kindergarten if you want. You can start in college. You can start in high school. So yeah. just, you know, tell us your, you know, your academic journey. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll just go back to high school and kind of give you bits and pieces and then get caught up real quick. So originally I uh, was interested in being uh, a lawyer actually. And then um, in senior year of high school, took a psychology course and uh, kind of weighed up the pros and cons and realized didn't really want to deal with a lot of the red tape with being a lawyer. And kind of, as you can see with a lot of current events, uh, Mm -hmm. Floyd and protests and all of those things, um, you know, I uh, opted to kind of take another route as far as mental health to kind of serve, um, you know, the black community and just communities that need um, and just people who need uh, mental health services as well. So yeah, that's um, important. 
yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the decision that I, I, I took. Um, but um, yeah, um, freshman year came around for college uh, at the University of Arkansas. And um, of course, took introduction to psychology like most people have to take. And that kind of just confirmed that, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, and uh, yeah, continue taking courses. And, um, you know, my first interests actually were, um, were working with kids and child development. So specifically, um, children with uh, ADHD. Um, and so um, from there, I kind of got interested in, you know, the medications that, you know, kids with ADHD take, such as, um, you know, Vyvanse and Adderall, and that's kind of where um, mm-hmm. substance use piece came in, which is my ultimate interest. Um, should have started that off at the top, but um, no, we'll get there. We're gonna we're gonna open it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then kind of worked in a a few labs um, doing uh, substance use research, specifically starting out with like ADHD medication. So um, my first ever lab experience was like straight bench science so like working with like rats and like giving them different doses of methylphenidate um and kind of seeing um how uh pregnant sprog dolly rats um how the mothers um uh, what the offspring looked like what maybe what the genetic expressions were for taking different doses of methylphenidate and seeing the effects on the offspring um essentially to um potentially develop a model for what it may look like for um, pregnant mothers who are taking mm-hmm. ADHD medication and what kind of effects that may or may not have on their children who may or may not have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Uh, how, go, go ahead. A question. How are... I assume some of you, maybe your classmates or maybe even you had to get over the, like, the fear of rats, like <laughs> playing with rats. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't a fear, but I not particularly fond of rats um so that was a little but like my i guess i was interested enough in it to like i just didn't care it was kind of like moot but um yeah it was kind of weird touching a, a rat for the first time because usually that's like a uh you know if you you're in new york it's like a stay away type of thing mm-hmm. yeah and rats carrying pizza down the subway station yeah yeah yes <laughs> exactly thankfully the sprog dolly rats were a lot smaller, at least the ones mm-hmm. that I dealt with. Cool. Um, so this is a, I'll ask the question now, um, considering when, so we're, it's, you know, the people listening to this maybe in 10 years from now, um, I just want to let you know, it's July 6, 2020. And we're, I guess, technically we're still in a world um pandemic, a global pandemic. <laughs> and I'm wondering, so I start my uh, PhD program in the fall. <clears throat> so right. I haven't been interrupted um, with any coursework, any research, anything like that. So I'm wondering, like, when around March is when, you know, the at least the United States started to tell itself, all right, we got to chill out, everyone should go home. Yeah. How, how did it affect you and your, um, your, your space? Yeah, so I'll definitely speak on my experience um, at the University of Memphis, but more specifically in uh, my doctoral program. So essentially, everything moved from in-person to uh, online. 
And so um, our department was essentially trying to figure out if they wanted to use Zoom or Skype or BlueJeans. And so all content got moved to online classes. And so a lot of uh, a course that I took was called Case Conceptualization. And that's essentially we would do a lot of role playing and didactics as far as like um, modeling uh, clients with um, psychological disorders and then taking turns playing the therapist as well, um, trying to implement different um, uh, therapeutic techniques and styles. Um, and so we essentially did um, what we called breakout rooms. And so um, we would just all join a Zoom call. We were there for there seven of us on the call. And then we would um, break out into smaller one-on-one -on -one sessions with um, uh, different people in my cohort and just practice via Zoom. And so um, it took a little bit of adjustment. Um, you kind of had to study the material a bit more in depth um, because mm -hmm. doing things over Zoom is completely different than doing things in person where you can yeah. pick up on like nonverbal cues, like face-to-face. -face. So um, on the one hand, it was a bit of an adjustment as far as like um, the clinical side, but for a lot of my courses, my assessment course, we were doing a lot of reports and things of that nature. And so the online switch kind of made it easy for me in that sense. So I got to, I live right outside of Memphis in a city called South Haven. So I saved about two hours uh, driving each day for my commute. Oh, yeah. And so I benefited a lot from that class. And so there were definitely pros and cons to not going to the in-class, uh, in-person class, you know, the clinical based one. And then, but on the other hand, you know, I got to wake up, roll out of bed, and just hop on my laptop instead of hop in the car. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know for me, at least, there's been more meetings. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's another big trade-off is, uh, you know, you kind of had that uh, structure in your day where you could go walk outside or go walk to get lunch at a restaurant while you're on campus, but you're on a computer all day. You yeah. Know? At least started when the <laughs> pandemic really started in March. Um there's a lot more Zoom calls. Yeah, exactly. So cool. That's, that's dope. Um, and so, so University of Memphis, has the school sent out anything about how it might want to roll itself back into formation in the fall? Or is this still like quiet? The administration not saying anything yet, giving any guidance? Yeah. So the first thing that came out um, was that all summer classes were transitioned to online. And so as of recording today, classes are still online. Um, there are plans to reopen in the fall, but um, there's still kind of ongoing discussions about that. A lot of professors have reached out to students about their comfortability um, returning in the fall versus, um, you know, doing courses online. So um, at time recording, no uh, final decisions have been made, but um I will say that the semester has been moved up to start one week early and mm -hmm. we're ending the semester uh, right before Thanksgiving break. And oh, that's dope. I, I can't confirm, um, you know, the reasoning for that, but I know for me, I'm kind of looking forward to not going home for Thanksgiving and then coming back uh, and being around people who have been around different family members who, you know, not sure what their social distancing habits are. And then, yeah. you know, doing it again for Christmas vacation or winter break and then coming yep. back again. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how the semester is looking so far, but still more to come. Yeah. I haven't even thought about it that way. Um, 
because it's a break then you come back mm-hmm. i see see you got to listen to healthcare professionals see this is why <laughs> this is why. In training in in training yeah. <laughs> that. nah you healthcare professionals you got more sense than a lot of people in our government or our federal government at least <laughs> oh, we could do another podcast separately just for that <laughs> yeah just for that <laughs> cool dope um cool so let's move on to uh, another question so yeah. and this is this is the part where um I think what makes your 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 interest your story is so powerful. So um, basically, um, you're still you're in second year, uh, and I guess can you expand on uh, your interest in why what you're studying, what you're really interested in, and um, what eventually your dissertation is going to be about. Yeah. So going back to the uh, the Sprague Valley rats, I got interested in um, not only just ADHD medication, but um, in America, at least a lot of times ADHD medication like Adderall and Vyvanse are abused essentially um, for like, uh, you know, study tools to kind of enhance, you know, study process or efficiency and stuff like that. So I got you uh, got interested in, you know, how substances are misused. And ultimately, um, I decided to pursue um, my doctorate to study addiction and more specifically uh, alcohol misuse. And so, um, you know, for listeners uh, who may not, uh, who I may have not uh, said this at the beginning, uh, I'm a, uh, a black student um, and um, I am very interested in how alcohol misuse affects uh, black college students and emerging adults, which are essentially people from ages 18 to 25 years. Um, and so I really want to look at how alcohol misuse affects, you know, college students, but also those who don't go to college, like the young adults who don't go to college and what differences in, um, alcohol patterns might be between, um, white emerging adults and black emerging adults. Um, and so my mentor uh, and uh, specifically has an interest in behavioral economics, um, which is another interest of mine as well, um, which kind of deals with choice behavior and the decision-making process in um, partaking in substance use. Um, and so I'm specifically interested in um, how that affects um, Black emerging adults, college students, um, and veterans as well. Oh, that's cool. The veterans piece. I bet, is there a lot of research in that, that area? Um, so as far as alcohol misuse is concerned, there's definitely a solid body uh, of literature. Um, looking at that from a behavioral economic framework, that's more of a relatively new model of kind of viewing addiction, or rather I'd say not relatively new, but um, behavioral economics as far as like a model to explain addiction isn't mainstream, you know, quote unquote yet. Yeah, cool. So think of this. So imagine this is... Um what, uh, two and maybe a two and a half years from now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your dissertation is finished. You defended it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're on, you know, I don't know if we'll be on, if you'll be in a room with other people at that point yet, considering a pandemic, or if you'll <laughs> do it on Zoom. Yeah. But hopefully by then it'll be um, in person. You know, everyone think will be back to normal. Yeah. Um, what do you think, or what do you think uh, your findings might be or your concluding um, arguments might be for your dissertation about the interest that you just laid out? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's a lot of 
new literature um, and, um, you know, and before like, you know, saying that this is kind of like law, um, there's a lot of literature that's kind of suggesting that um, different psychosocial adversities, such as like um, adverse childhood experiences, potentially racial discrimination, microaggressions, things uh, yeah. like PTSD, it's, it's possible that they may contribute to a lot of negative, negative alcohol consequences. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as potentially as like coping mechanisms, um, as mm-hmm. a response to stress as well. And so, I'm really interesting interested in kind of how um, you know black people respond to kind of those psychosocial stressors, and why um, uh, alcohol misuse may be a part of you know that coping piece. Yeah. Yeah. And if I had, yeah. I guess if I had to guess, um, you know, right now, a lot of literature is suggesting that, um, you know, blacks essentially drink less or, you know, as much alcohol as like their white counterparts in college. Um, but a lot of early literature is suggesting that um, black people have more alcohol problems to deal with, even though they're still drinking less or about the same amount of alcohol. And so I kind of want to delve into behavioral economics to find out, you know, what's kind of going on here? How does the decision-making process influence, um, you know, uh, volume of alcohol problems? And, you know, why are Black people disproportionately maybe have more problems than, you know, their white emerging adult counterparts? Yeah. So I, I must, yeah, this is going to be, when you finish, I, I think it's going to be a piece of... Um, a piece of literature, a, a body of knowledge that are going to inform a bunch of stuff just in general, because there's a lot of assumptions made about all the things that you've been saying. And it sounds like you're going to go and gather that. Re- you're going to go gather that information and, and put it on a platter and say, this is what it is. Yeah, that is that is definitely uh, a goal. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I would love to, you know, you know, provide a small part of the piece of the puzzle as far as kind of explaining like certain, you know, addictive behaviors and, you know, how certain things like psychosocial adversities may influence, you know, um, alcohol problems and drug problems, you know, as a whole. But um, yeah, that's ultimately what I kind of like to um, pursue in my career. Yeah. So, so um, I I assume it's exciting uh, to be in your second year right now. You said this is your second year. You're moving into your second year, right? Yes. Yeah. So for considering, I, I think a lot of uh, the listeners are going to be uh, students coming into their PhD programs and thinking about it. Yeah. What is, so for the first year, mm-hmm. so what was like your typical day like um, as a first year a PhD student? Yeah. So first year is definitely course intensive. So um, fall semester, we registered to take three classes and spring semester, we took three classes as well. So for the fall, last fall, 2019, I took a statistics course, um, psychopathology, which, you know, for undergrad, that's, you know, a lot of people know that it's abnormal psychology Um, and um, a research methods course. Um, And then in the spring, um, class called case conceptualization, kind of getting in the groove of what it's like to um, be with a client um, and kind of conceptualize 
the things going on in their lives, whether it's, um, you know, social, biological, or related specifically to psychological disorders. Um, and then an assessment course um, as well, which um, had a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, certain assessments used to, me- to measure um, psychological disorders and um, things of that nature. But uh, a typical day, you know, uh, class Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, and then the other part of that, that's the student part. And then as graduate students in um, the clinical PhD program at my program, um, we did 20 hours of research a week in our lab. And so for most students, um, you know, well, for all students, their mentor has a specific research interest. So you're spending time uh, reading research articles. And for me, that was specifically addiction and alcohol. Um, and then you're doing, um, you know, maybe statistical analysis for a project that's being done. Um, a lot of mentors um, uh, have uh, grants which fund, you know, studies where you kind of run participants in a psychological study. So um, for a lot of times that can be doing interviews with participants or having them fill out surveys or doing online computer tasks. And so that was essentially 20 hours a week doing that, nine hours a week of classwork. And then, um, you could, you know, if you wanted, you could be involved on different committees. And then uh, in your other quote unquote free time, you were studying for all this. So it essentially equated to, uh, you know, <laughs> quote yeah, quote unquote, about a 50 hour work week, sometimes 60. But, you know, it varied a lot depending on, you know, whether you were studying for an exam or working to publish a paper or, you know, this, that and the third. Mm-hmm. So cool. So I think this is the kind of the grand finale of the PhD tips and why I kind of named it PhD tips is yeah. where where you give the uh, the listeners tips on how to become or be or aspire to be a, a successful PhD student. Yeah. Um and so you so you can share as many tips as you want. The the number usually is around five, so that's like a good number. Um, yep. So if there were five tips that you would give uh, to someone wanting to start a PhD program or a current student um, in a PhD program, what would those tips be? Yeah, and so um, I'm hoping that a lot of you know people who are listening to this are black students who really want to pursue the higher level education. And first off, I just want to like encourage you guys like go for it. Like it is possible. You can do it. Um, Even in the moment when you're not, you know, there in your program um, or can't even imagine like, you know, being at the other end of a MD program, PhD program or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. like you can get there. Um, And so my tips are going to kind of be framed from the perspective of like, as a black student, like I kind of had to figure out out all of this on my own like initially <laughs> yeah yeah I, I definitely did not do this all by myself but it took a lot of intrinsic motivation to kind of get to where you know I was accepted to a program um, mm-hmm. and kind of that initial drive um, kind of put me into places of talking to like professionals and other black people you know, in the psychology field as well. Um, So the first tip that I'd like to, you know, just give listeners and, you know, black or whatever other demographic is um, pursue and seek out opportunities to get experience in your interest area. So like I was saying, as I was a freshman, um, uh, my college year, um, I think there were, what, 
almost 30,000 uh, undergrads at my uh, university. And so uh, there was definitely no handholding. And so like, if you want it, you got to go out and get it. So definitely mm-hmm. pursue and seek out opportunities um, in your interest area. So if you're taking a class and you really not only like your professor, but love the material that they're teaching, like, let them know, like show, like stand out from the crowd, like go out. And it, and, and a lot of times it's going to be scary going up to like a tenured professor or just any professor and saying like, hey, you know, I'm Jay or whatever your name is. I really love to learn more about this. Um, and what a lot of people, what I didn't know initially is that like professors and just other types of teachers, like are looking for that. Like they're looking for people mm-hmm. excited and passionate about their work as they are. Um, but yeah, um, and so the second tip kind of building on that is like get research experience. So if you're someone who wants to pursue a PhD program, whether it's psychology or in a different field, a lot of programs, especially clinical psychology programs, value research experience. Because, you know, when they're looking at your application, essentially, and they're trying to determine, okay, who are we going to bring in for an interview? Um, They want to see that you've had experience in a lab, you know, doing research that's similar or at least in a relative, you know, a relevant field to the program that you're applying. Um, You know, when you're going for a regular job, they want to see job experience. Well, as a student, you're expected, especially now, to have that research experience. Um, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's volunteer. Um, there are pay, definitely paid research experiences, but, um, you know, for a lot of it, you kind of just kind of have to stick it out and, you know, be a go-getter and seek out those experiences for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, something that uh, I definitely want to emphasize um, is also cold emails do work. They are part of the <laughs> that I got to where I was, I am right now. Um, <laughs> I still use them. So basically what I'll say is like the more cold emailing you do up front, the less you have to do it, it later on. Because if you're building those, uh, and for me, the, I'm from, I'm from Arkansas, from Little Rock, Arkansas. And, um, uh, I wouldn't say that it is a huge psychology hotbed as far as like prestige and stuff like that. And just the amount of psychologists here. And so there were less opportunities for me in undergrad and in the community. Um, and so like a lot of institutions will have, uh, like, you know, say Harvard will have relationships with hospitals and clinics around the community, um, in addition to just like their undergraduate departments. And so there's a lot more access in those bigger programs. But for me, I didn't have that. And so cold emailing and just was huge for me. Um, just putting yourself out there, like making yourself, making it known that like you are ready to volunteer for um, research experience to kind of work in the lab to get your feet wet. A lot of times that leads to paid experiences. Um, and on this point as well, just applying for as many positions in your field that you can, even if it's not exactly in your area, having that research experience is key. Like that is definitely a major key. Um, The fourth thing I'd want to say is reach out to students 
especially graduate students, faculty and professionals in your field to get as much information as you can, because that's going to kind of help you get a clear idea of what kind of career you want to have, how you want to develop professionally, especially in undergrad before you get to the PhD program. So I know for me, like I had, I can't even count on how many fingers, how many informational interviews I've asked of people. Um, You know, I've interviewed people who were developmental psychologists, research psychologists, clinical counseling psychologists, psychiatrists, because I wanted to find out, okay, I know I'm interested in mental health, but like, which one of these spaces do I really want to like live in, you know, for the rest of my life, um, as far as like a professional lifestyle is concerned. I had a long time, I thought I wanted to go into social work, um, you know, and so, you know, reaching out to those people, because a lot of people that I found love to talk about their research experience, whatever they're involved in, they're passionate about. And for me, they were super happy to take 15, 20, 30 minutes, even an hour sometimes to just talk to me about what they're doing in their lab, what they're doing at their job, their clinic, their university, their hospital. Um, and then the last thing I'd like, I want to tip, I'd want to give out is, you know, once you have a clear idea of kind of where you want to be, um, seek, like seek out those people in your specific field and ask them, what's the day-to-day look like? What are kind of, medium, long-term, you know, demands, goals in that profession. And um, really importantly, what's that lifestyle look like? You know, is a work-life balance something that's common? Is it achievable? Is it non-existent? Um, And kind of just really find out, you know, what it's like to be the professional you're really interested in becoming. Man. It's almost like you were preparing your whole life ready for this PhD program. <laughs> I know there's a very long-winded answer. I hope it helped somebody out there, but No, yeah. that's that was keys, major keys. Yeah. Do you actually remember your like the 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 point in time when you were about to apply to a PhD program like when you decided, "All right, this is what I want to do." The oh, PhD. 100%. So I'll so what I've learned, I've heard from a lot of my professors in my program is like, yeah, you guys are here because you're overachievers. And I'm just like, I just had to pause for a second. I was just like, is that an insult or a compliment? <laughs> um, but no, I was uh, the type of person to, um, after my fall semester, freshman year of college, I planned out my entire undergrad catalog of courses that I would take because I was just like, this is something that like I want. And so after I graduated um, undergrad, um, I didn't quite have the experience that I needed to get to a PhD program. And so I took time off doing post-bac research, volunteering, paid, working retail, you know, just to make ends meet. Um, But um, it was really when I started studying for the GRE, the graduate records examination, which, you know, at time of recording um, is or was required to get into graduate school that I really was just like, you know, even though studying for this GRE is difficult, this is really what I want. And so I started undergrad in 2010, graduated 2014, um, started taking the GRE around 2015. And that's when I really knew I was just like, you know what, it's worth it to pass this exam to get into grad mm-hmm. school. Yeah. yeah. Man, so Dr. Janet Moses, she uh, she was a part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee 
uh, back in the 60s and uh, doing voter registration in Mississippi. And, you know, she um, later in her life, <clears throat> uh, she studied medicine. Uh, so she was, she became a doctor. Um, you know, she was a doctor. And she told me once that you know, everything that uh, the Black community needs and needs to do to, you know, pull itself out of the condition it's that's in is, you know, all of that, all those resources, all those brains, all that genius is already in the community. It's already here. Right. And so it's like people like you, yeah. like you, you say you're a, a healthcare professional in training, <laughs> like your, your guidance, your genius um, is going, it, you know, it's, it's already in the community. It's just the willpower to, you know, where's that nucleus is who actually is going to put their foot down mm-hmm. and say, this is what we have to do people. Um, and you're a testament to that. Yeah, I, I appreciate those kind words for sure. Yeah, man. So, you know, I don't think I'm going to do much editing to this one. You know, you know that <laughs> that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did so, want to add one more thing yeah, um, for listeners, especially the Black listeners. So, um, you know, at time of recording, I think, was it uh, NBC reported that... Uh, for uh, psychologists, 4% of psychologists are black men and 2% are psychiatrists. So I will tell you that like on my journey to, you know, starting grad school in 2019, all of the black professionals I met on the way, like I could just see their lies lighting up, their eyes lighting up that there was someone else pursuing that. And like, I can't tell you mm-hmm. how valuable those people were in like my development to kind of get me where I am right now. Mm-hmm. So like if there's one thing that you take from the podcast, reach out to people that do the things that you are going to love to do for the rest of your life. It makes a huge difference. And they, those people want you to succeed, especially the black professionals in our community. That's Jay. Soon to be Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jay. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. One of these days. Thanks for coming to the pod, man. And you know, everyone that's listening, listen to what he's saying and follow him on Twitter. Um, give him give them your Twitter, uh, your Twitter handle. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh AJ Withers uh underscore. Uh, so that's A J W I T H E R S followed by an underscore. Cool. Yeah. So follow him um, because, you know, in a few years, you know, it's going to be cool to say, oh, I know that uh, famous person. I was one of his first followers. (laughs) You're too nice. You're too nice. (laughs) On everything. For real. Thank you for tuning in. Check back sometime soon for more PhD tips. Until next time, peace.